discretion is advised. Dino Files. Hey, how are we doing? This is Dino Files, episode 30. Uh, during show prep, I was playing uh, Molotov Solution off of the Insurrection album from uh, 2011. Man, there's some great music there. Um, I, I love, uh, especially uh, Crew of Atticus and The Final Hour. Incredible, incredible tracks. Uh, lyrically, they just, ugh, they're so moving. Um, that last bit of Crew of Atticus that we heard... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. We won't be bought and sold. You want my life? Then come and get it. A drop of blood for every innocent man that has suffered at your hands. You'll never fucking bleed us dry. Spreading your lies. You'll never fucking bleed us dry. No more lives lost at your hands. When will the cost meet your demands? No more innocent souls condemned. How many more will you expend? Oh, I love it. It's so fucking good. So... Uh, before we actually get into the show proper, I want to make it very clear to everybody listening, uh, fuck no, I'm not going to be covering the shooting in Texas. And the reason I'm not going to be covering the shooting in Texas, at least on this episode, is number one, I have another plan for this episode. And number two, uh, it just, it's not worth my time to do that, not to sound callous or anything, but this audience already knows what they think about that, and anyone who's listening to the show who doesn't follow that kind of news, um, that's why I have quick hits. I'm, I'm gonna try and start quick hits up again, and that's gonna be where that kind of stuff gets covered. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about stuff that everybody already has an opinion about or knows what they think about. So, we're not gonna be covering the shooting in Texas. What we will be doing is, I'm gonna bring this back, interesting legislation. Interesting legislation. This is stuff that's, uh, that's on the floor, has been on the floor, um, very interesting, uh, for me. There's an amendment on the floor. This is, uh, from Representative John Ratcliffe, rep uh, Republican from Texas, and 18 others have co-signed the bill. Uh, this is the Strengthening State and Local Cybercrime Fighting Act of 2017. This bill amends the Homeland Security Act of 2002 to authorize a National Computer Forensic Institute within the U.S. Secret Service for fiscal year 2017 through 2022. The Institute shall, one, disseminate information related to the investigation and prevention of cyber and electronic crime and related threats, and two, educate, train, and equip state, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement officers, prosecutors, and judges. Institute functions include educating such officers, prosecutors, and judges on current cyber, electronic crimes, and related threats, methods for investigating such crime and threats, and for conducting computer and mobile device forensic examinations, and related prosecutorial and judicial challenges, training such officers to conduct investigations of such crime and related threats, as well as such forensic examinations to respond to network intrusion incidents, and training such officers, prosecutors, and judges on methods to obtain, process, store, and admit digital evidence in court. The Institute shall ensure that timely, actionable, and relevant expertise and information related to such crime and related threats is shared with such officers and prosecutors, may provide such officers with computer equipment, hardware, software, manuals, and tools necessary to conduct investigations of such crime, this is the interesting bit, uh, what I just read, and related threats in such forensic examinations, and shall facilitate the expansion of the network of electronic crime attack forces in the Secret Service through the addition of officers trained at the Institute. So... This is an expansion of, uh, of cybercrime sort of investigation and prevention. And what I think is very interesting 
is the piece that says, may provide such officers with computer equipment, hardware, software, manuals, and tools necessary to conduct investigations of such crimes and related threats and such forensic examinations. That, to me, is the important bit here for one reason and one reason only. That, to me, I read that, and, yeah, you can read that and, and look at, you know, you can think of tools for uh, um, finding deleted data on hard disks and um, things like that. Or you can immediately think of Stingray like me. Um, <laughs> these, are, these are tools that are used by law enforcement organizations to uh, tap without a person's knowledge or without people's knowledge their cell phones, computers, networks, things like that. Um, this happens a lot when you see, uh, the president, not just this president, any president, uh, after this, after the invention of this little doodad, um, you see them going somewhere or doing something. Typically there's a truck there, it's a stingray truck, and they, uh, intercept almost all communications that are happening, and one thing that people in the surrounding area report when one of these things is around is increased battery drain... Uh, even while the devices are in standby. And this is something that has been noted. There are write-ups about it. But that's what I read when I read that, is they're going to try and get stingrayed everywhere. And it's uh, that's frightening to me. But that is also not the main point of today's episode. I was teasing on Twitter. Today's episode is all about taxation. And I want to run through this uh, fairly quickly because, uh, for my money, there's a lot of people, even in uh, anarcho-capitalist circles or, or libertarian circles, who do not understand why taxation is theft. They see it, and it makes sense to them, and so they agree with it, but the reasoning behind it is still something of a mystery to them. And uh, this is not common. Uh, some people have a passing understanding, other people have really dug in and know exactly what the logic is for the statement taxation is theft. But I want to dig into it right now and, and share my personal logic, and there are different ethical modes of thinking that can get you to this conclusion. But I want to share my personal uh, ethics and, and logic as to why exactly taxation is theft. And if I'm missing something, hit me up on Twitter, because I'm going to follow this up um, with a follow-up on, on a later episode where I dig in and, and, and find the stuff that I missed and go over that as well. Uh, so you can hit me up on Twitter about that, at Files with no, uh, no spaces or dashes or anything, just at Files. So, let's dig in. Taxation is theft. I have a little outline here. It's not a script necessarily, but it's an outline that, that I think is going to help me sort of present this. There are pre pre <laughs> prerequisites, that word can trick me sometimes, to believing that taxation is theft. And some of these are uh, just purely philosophical. There are worldviews which will not carry these assumptions within them. And thus, taxation as theft will mean nothing to certain people just because the philosophy through which they view the world does not allow for it. Um, Marxists are among these, and you will see why. Prerequisites for believing this is a, uh, a belief in property as legitimate and ownership of that property as an intrinsic human right. Um, this is something that's pretty common in the United States, and it's, it's something that is often considered to be uh, accurate just based on 
the language of founding documents in the United States. Uh, most people in the U.S. do see property as legitimate, and they do see ownership of that property as an intrinsic human right. Uh, people who follow other philosophical lines do not necessarily think this, and that's why uh, this is going to mean nothing to you if you're, uh, um, for example, a Marxist who, who doesn't think that private ownership of property is a legitimate uh, yeah, human right. That's... Um, Oh, my phone just went off. I hate that. Um, yeah, that's that's not going to allow you to follow this logic. And and that's why just to respect other worldviews and things like that, these prerequisites have to be in place in order for somebody to understand uh, or at least to be able to entertain the idea that taxation is theft. Um, so what exactly is taxation? Well, taxation is when the government... Um, basically makes a rule, I'm going to say this in very basic terms, they, they make a rule that says that you have to give them a certain amount of money uh, in order to not be jailed. That's basically what a tax is. Um, the, the retribution for not paying your taxes is that further property of yours gets stolen, that you end up in jail, uh, or, um, you know, worse, if you try to defend yourself against a kidnapping. So, <laughs> we're going to get to that. The idea that taxation is theft is based on the idea that taxation is nothing more than the removal of a person's property uh, through threat of force. And that is something that a lot of people immediately, especially, you know, more statist uh, thinkers, will say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's bullshit already. Like, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to get there. Taxation is seen by uh, a lot of libertarians and by all, really, anarcho-capitalists as the removal of property under threat of force and thus illegitimate. One of the more common lines against this that you'll get from statists or from libertarians who don't believe that taxation is theft or uh, anybody, really, who doesn't follow this line of logic but does believe in property and uh, the ownership of property as an intrinsic human right, um, they'll say, but there's no force involved. It's just a law. You just you pay your pay your freaking taxes. There's not there's not force there, and uh, the answer to that is okay. If I refuse to hand over my property, what happens? Um, if I refuse to hand over my property, I am stolen from further. They will garnish my wages. They will come steal my property to sell, uh, liquidate my property. The IRS will do that, um, or they'll throw me in jail, or all three. <laughs> you know. Um, and if you refuse to be stolen from, or kidnapped, and caged, then you will be beaten or shot, and then caged or buried. <laughs> Those are your options. If you refuse to, if you tell the organization that says, give me your stuff, if you say no, they will either steal the rest of your stuff and throw you in a cage, or they'll kill you if you try to defend your property. That is nothing, nothing less than a threat of force under which they remove your property from your ownership. Uh, so that's the first sort of argument against it is there's not force. Um, yeah, there is. But often this will be followed up with, uh, but taxation is voluntary. You, you, you do this, you consent to this. Well, taxation is not voluntary because it's done under threat of force. Um, if you refuse to pay taxes, <laughs> it is, it, it, you, you will be, either jailed or killed, and it is not, thus it is not voluntary. You you are being coerced into paying taxes. Coercion is the opposite of a voluntary transaction. So, 
Oftentimes, that will be... That's just a misunderstanding that a lot of people have about what voluntary means. <laughs> voluntary means without coercion. <laughs> and the threat of force is coercion. So those two things just don't work. Uh, the idea that taxation can be voluntary. Um, but you consent. But you consent. This is often um, one that's brought out that I think is uh, probably effective to some people but not to me, because consent, and we know this uh, just based on popular uh, uh, people talking about sexual assault and things like that, and these kinds of discussions of consent that do carry over into law. Consent as a concept necessitates the ability to withdraw that consent. Um, otherwise, it's not consensual. If you change your mind later, and you're not allowed to withdraw your consent in any way, shape, or form, then it's a coercive arrangement at that point. A voluntary arrangement can become a coercive arrangement uh, through the inability to withdraw consent. This is why contracts, especially contracts and businesses, have exit clauses. They have the ability to get out of the contract, even if there are terms. Even if there are terms to that exit, there is a way to exit, always. Um, you have this in contracts that you personally sign with, like a cell phone carrier. If you sign a contract with a cell phone carrier, there is a clause in that contract that says, yes, you can leave, but you will pay us X amount of money, or you will uh, pay off the phone that you got from us, you know, if you didn't fill out, finish out the term of the contract, or, or what have you. There's always a way to leave a contract. Um, there just might be terms in place in that contract. Uh, which leads some people to say, ah, so if you can withdraw your consent from the contract, and then, uh, even if there are terms to that contract, then you can simply leave. It costs money to leave, and it costs money to give up your citizenship, which it does, by the way. Uh, it costs money to become a non-citizen of whatever country that you live in, but that is a way to withdraw your consent. This, to me, has... Uh, two major problems, this argument. And those two major problems are as follows. Aside from the fact that there's literally nowhere in the world that doesn't have taxation, um, unless you're in a country where it's basically warlords fighting over control and there hasn't been a government established yet, uh, which are pretty much the only states in which uh, countries exist right now. That's why the move to Somalia argument is dumb, is because Somalia is not an anarcho-capitalist society. It is, in fact, a bunch of warlords fighting for control. <laughs> um, in fact, there are multiple governments, and that's uh, arguably worse. <laughs> so, the move to Somalia argument falls apart on that basis. And so does this one. Uh, there's literally nowhere that doesn't have taxation. And further, we've already established that the prerequisite to believing that taxation is theft is that ownership of property is an intrinsic human right. We've established that taxation is the removal of property by force, right, which is theft. I mean, that's, it's that simple. But if you want to continue to go down the rabbit hole and try to fight the arguments, uh, we've already established that, that that kind of removal of property by force must then be a violation of human rights. If ownership of property is an intrinsic human right, then removing someone's property by force is a violation of their human rights. That makes logical sense. So, if you move on to say that you can withdraw your consent by leaving whatever country you're in, 
what you are in fact saying is that human rights have borders. <laughs> You're making the argument that human rights are dependent upon geography. Now, that is an argument you are allowed to make. And there are arguments to be made there, some of them cultural, some of them political, but there are arguments to be made there. But you must realize that if you're making that argument that you can just leave, the argument you're making is that human rights have geographic borders. And uh, I personally do not believe that. I think taxation is theft everywhere, just as female genital mutilation is abhorrent and abusive everywhere. Um, even where it's common and accepted, right? I don't believe that ethics have geographical boundaries, and I don't believe that logic stops at a border, okay? Again, you can make the argument that it does. You can make the argument that human rights have geographic boundaries. I'm just never going to agree with you on that. <laughs> um, and I don't think you can make a convincing argument that ethics have geographic boundaries and that human rights have geographic boundaries. I don't think you can make that argument in a convincing way. Uh, I think it ignores the fact that people who aren't you are also human and people who don't live where you live are also human. And so your conception of human rights must then logically extend to them. And if your conception of human rights involves the ownership of property, then theft is wrong everywhere to you. It must be in order for you to maintain your logical consistency. If you're saying that human rights do have geographic boundaries, then you don't believe in human rights. You believe in some form of cultural liberty, right? This is, uh, this is not uncommon. And again, you can make these arguments. I don't think you should, <laughs> but you can. I'm just never going to believe, uh, I'm never going to, I'm never going to see your side of that. I, I just don't see it as logically consistent. So as soon as we establish that it's not consensual, and that you can't withdraw your consent by leaving, and that that argument itself is spurious for logical reasons, as soon as we establish that, people often bring out the idea that it must be consensual because the social contract. And because the social contract is a very common line that you hear from statists and from uh, libertarians who are uh, not, not familiar with the arguments against the social contract, um... This, the, the, the bringing forth the social contract as an argument necessitates that you believe in the social contract, right? That you think it's actually a thing. But nobody really actually knows what it is. <laughs> um, oftentimes, the status who bring it up, unless they are uh, versed in political theory or in, in political science or things like that, uh, either by schooling or by their own reading and, and interest, Unless you're versed in these ideas, you don't actually know what the social contract is. You're just parroting a, a phrase that you heard in your high school civics class. The social contract is uh, generally recognized as being a Rousseauian construction. Okay, It comes from Rousseau, and it's based on the Hobbesian idea that uh, in order to live in a civilized society, man gives up some of his rights uh, to a sovereign in order to guarantee their own safety. And the rights that Hobbes says, and I say rights in, in air quotes, the rights that Hobbes says are given up are basically the rights to kill, steal, and pillage, and rape, and all these things that we think are bad for people to do. And that are in fact bad for people to do, right? Um, that you give up those rights to a sovereign, right? That's, that's what the Leviathan is about. You give up those rights to a sovereign in order to guarantee your own safety from killers, thieves, pillagers, and rapists, right? And that's, that's where the power of the sovereign uh, uh, originally comes from in a Hobbesian worldview.
The biggest problem with this, to me, and again, this is my personal line of logic, this is not the line of logic that every anarcho-capitalist follows, but the biggest problem with this, to me, is the way that theft, murder, pillaging, and raping are framed in Hobbesian thought. They're framed in Hobbesian thought as rights, rather than, and, and people use the words rights for those things, even modern political philosophers, even... Even if you want to say that the way that Hobbes is using the words right, the word rights is different from the way that we would use the word rights, modern political philosophers often don't make that distinction. They'll say that the Hobbesian rights are rights uh, instead of what I would call them, which is abilities. You have the ability to kill, steal, to kill, steal, rape, and pillage, but it's not a right to do so. And the reason I say that is because. If our conception of human rights, and again, this goes back to our prerequisite of, of understanding what human rights actually are, um, and, and believing that ownership is a human right, because ownership of property is the place from which all other rights spring, all other human rights spring. You must then own your body. You must then own your house. You must then own your life. You must then own, you know, all of that. And so ownership of that and control of that is the basis for a lot of the human rights that we have. There are some people who don't think of it that way. But ownership of property as a basic human right leads to every other basic human right. It is a foundational human right. In fact, you could say that it is the only human right because it, it protects you from rape, pillaging, from war, from theft, from uh, invasion. It protects you from all these things because your property then becomes sacred and your property includes yourself and your posterity. Right? And by that, I don't mean your kids. I mean the things you own that go beyond you. So uh, the, the idea that theft and murder and rape are rights and are often called rights, even by modern political philosophers, goes against the very idea of rights. Because if you believe in these human rights, as our prerequisite states, then you necessarily do not believe that killing, pillaging, raping, and, and stealing are your right. Right, so these things that, that people call rights are not rights in the, in the Hobbesian frame, the Hobbesian framework. Um, it, it's, it's completely antithetical to the idea of those very human rights. And uh, I, I wrote this out. This is actually kind of a long line. That's why I had to have an outline. Um, so based on this, the social contract is built on an inherently faulty premise uh, because these abilities that man gives up to the sovereign are not ethically defensible actions to take in any case. Uh, regardless of the condition of the, of the condition of a society one finds himself in, so even in the Hobbesian state of nature, which uh, I, I'll get into that in a minute, even in the Hobbesian state of nature, killing, stealing, raping, pillaging are not ethically defensible. Just as ethics don't have geographical borders, I do not believe that ethics have uh, have uh, borders in space time. <laughs> Right? I don't think you can uh, go back in time and say that an ethical system is not allowed to apply. You can go back in time and say that this ethical system that they had then was wrong because the ethical system that I have now must apply across time. That's why we say slavery is wrong, by the way, is because our ethical system must apply across time. Right, So it doesn't matter if you're in the Hobbesian state of nature. Killing, stealing, raping, pillaging, these are not your right. These are ethically wrong things to do. 
And uh, on top of that, the social contract ideal and the idea of giving up these, quote, rights to of, of killing, pillaging, stealing, and raping to the sovereign exists in defense of, uh, of totalitarianism because Rousseau also used the, co- the social contract to build the general will. And the general will is not a democratic notion. It is not an individualist notion. It does not support the ideas of democracy, of representative government, of individualism, any of these things. The idea of the general will only exists to support a totalitarian regime. That's the application of the general will. And you can try and bend it, as people have, to apply to, and then, you know, kind of change some terms or take what you like from it and use it to justify representative government or democracy. But the fact is, the notion, the, the, the primary notions of the general will taken to their logical extremes end in totalitarianism. So it doesn't work. And all of that is based on the idea of the social contract. Furthermore, um, and this is what I was getting about getting into a little bit earlier that I decided not to. Um, the Hobbesian idea of the state of nature that you know life is uh, is I forget one of the words and then brutish and short is wrong <laughs> um, anthropologically and and uh, evolutionarily these these fields of science I should say of anthropology and evolutionary science has told us that that's not exactly right. That humans evolved in tribes, not alone. And that humans evolved uh, with kin selection and with all these things that made humans work together in societies before humans were humans. Right? So the, the idea of the Hobbesian state of nature is sort of wrong on its face, at least based upon what we know now anthropologically and evolutionarily. And this calls into question all of Hobbesian thought, for me. And, and that's why I don't believe that the social contract is a good thing to invoke when you're arguing with an anarcho-capitalist, or any anarchist really, probably, is because you, you're bringing up something that is not shown to be a good thing, first of all, or even a thing that exists, <laughs> second of all. Um, and people invoke it all the time, thinking that they then have the intellectual or the ethical high ground, when in fact, they just picked the lowest road. Uh, because the social contract, as an idea... It doesn't really stand up to scrutiny, or at least scrutiny from the perspective of somebody who believes in human rights. And then uh, oftentimes what you'll hear as well when saying taxation is theft, my friends, is, uh, well, that's the price we pay for civilization. Okay. Or society. Some people say society. Or civilized society. All right. Go ahead and think that. But if your idea of civilization is a place where an organization has the unfettered ability to kill or cage you if you don't comply with their stripping you of your property against your will, then you and I have wholly irreconcilable notions of what constitutes civilized behavior. Taxation is the way we pay for civilization. Sure, if you think that being run by the mafia is civilization. Because that's what happens when the mafia comes to your shop and says, hey, give us money and we'll make sure nothing bad happens. If you don't give them money, they will make sure something bad does happen. And that is what taxation is. Give us money, we'll make sure nothing bad happens to you. You don't give us the money, we will make something bad happen to you. And your argument, then, is that that is civilization. <laughs> um, I'll leave that with, I disagree. <laughs> 
And uh, lastly, one of the more common arguments that we hear fall into the logistical. They, they often go toward, well, how would X, Y, or Z work without taxation? How would we have uh, this or that? Often, but the roads, or maroads, right? Uh, typically, this, this all comes down to who would build the roads, the internet, the rockets, the fire departments, the police, the whatever commodity or service I consider to be a social good, right? Who would then do that without taxation? That is a fine question, except for the fact that it ignores the ethical reality of taxation. What you're saying then is that a service or commodity is so important to you that you are willing to hold a gun to your neighbor's head to pay for it. By ignoring the ethical reality of taxation, you become an amoral or unethical actor. You then say, you are saying when you say who would build the roads, who would build the internet, who would build the rockets, the fire departments, what have you, whatever you think is important, you are then saying, I think these things are important enough that I am willing to kill my neighbor for them. That's the reality of what you're saying. And my argument against that is, if things are so important to you that you'd be willing to kill your neighbor for them, perhaps you should build, develop, and profit from the thing yourself. Maybe don't kill your neighbor for the thing, or threaten to kill your neighbor for the thing. Maybe just build the thing. But that argument does fall apart. Because, let's say, you lack the skills. You lack the resources. You lack the ability to build the thing that you are willing to kill your neighbor for. Okay. Based on that, do you really think that you're the only person to whom these things are important? Do you really think you're the only person that cares about this stuff? Do you really think that roads or any other commodity or service is so complicated that a company or a cooperative or even a loose organization of private parties could not pool resources to contract its development? Do you really think that a neighborhood of people on a dirt road couldn't pool some money together and get that road uh, paved? You think that's never going to happen? You're crazy if you think that's never going to happen. And frankly, if you're the kind of person who would put a gun to your neighbor's head before throwing in a few shekels yourself to pave the road in front of your house... You're the problem <laughs> with society, in my opinion. If you're the kind of person who would rather threaten to kill your neighbor than get together with your neighbors to pave a road, you're, in my opinion, right, your priorities are way out of whack. Way out of whack. Like, sick out of whack. Now, I think, though, in making those logistical arguments... I think the more important point to make in response to but who would build the roads is uh, that those of us who believe that taxation is theft don't have to be civil engineers. We don't have to be central planners, and we don't have to be experts in logistics. We don't have to be any of that. We are simply calling out a logical, ethical, and philosophical conclusion from the very definitions of what taxation is. Right? No matter what the number of logistical or sociological wrenches people try to throw into the idea that taxation is theft, the ethical and philosophical consistency does not change. You cannot make taxation is you cannot make taxation not theft just by saying, but who would build the roads? That doesn't make taxation not theft, it just means you don't know how to get together with people and build a road. Or you don't know how to convince others to get together with people and build a road. That's all you're proving. You're not making taxation not theft. You're making a logistical argument for a problem that it's not my responsibility to solve. 
Whatever the attempts that you throw in to undermine the basic idea that taxation is theft does not have any effect on the idea that taxation is theft. And that's why people always resort to moving the goalposts, which is what they're doing when you start out with the ethical argument, with the ethical argument, and then they come in with logistical arguments, they're moving the goalposts because they've lost the ethical argument and now they have to move into the logistical. So now, not only do you have to have a philosophical, ethical, and moral proof that taxation is theft, but you also have to be a central planner. You also have to be a civic engineer. That's got to be your job now, too. You can't just be someone who's smart enough to see the obvious based on the definitions of the words. Now you have to be a civil engineer. And that's moving the goalpost. So uh, take heart, my anarcho-capitalist friends. As soon as people who were once talking about the ethics of taxation with you move on to the logistics, you've already won. Necessarily, you've already won. Because a logistical argument... Trying to throw a logistical monkey wrench into an ethical argument does not change the ethical argument. It just means you can't figure out the logistics. I was having a really good conversation with a guy uh, who is... A friend of mine is getting married. And he had a guy there, a, a, a friend of his. We all went to the bachelor party. And a friend of his was there. Good dude. Cool dude. We had a really long conversation. Great conversation. Disagreeing about almost everything. <laughs> Great conversation that I had with this guy. And, and one of the things that I noticed is that as I was trying to make ethical arguments, he was throwing in logistical monkey wrenches. And I'm sitting here thinking, but that's not what I'm talking about. I don't care about the logistics. There are people out there who are smart enough to figure out the logistics. That's not my job. What I'm arguing is the ethical side of this. I'm trying to tell you why every logistical argument you make doesn't matter because at its core, the thing you are defending is immoral. And that's why I believe that taxation is theft. Not for any logistical reason. Not because I'm some uh, fucking moron, either one of two things, either a rebel or a yuppie. It's neither of those. It's none of those. The reason that I believe that taxation is theft is because I think the only ethical consistency out of human rights is to fall on the conclusion that taxation is theft. And if you're a person who does not believe in human rights, then our worldviews are totally different. And also, I probably don't want to spend too much time with you <laughs> because you probably scare me. The, uh, that, the, if, you, if you're a person who believes in human rights, right then you must tell me where those human rights come from. People, people try to break human rights down at all these different things you're not allowed to do to a person. Uh, you're not allowed to cut off a person's clitoris. Okay. You're not allowed to, uh, uh, you know, mulch your backyard with the, somebody's corpse because they pissed you off. Okay, that's, that's, that would be a violation of their human rights. You know, that, that's... We try to break human rights down into all of these things that could happen all of these hypotheticals or eventualities that we think would violate human rights, but we never actually stop to, to think and say, well, where are all these human rights coming from? And the fact is, when you look at human rights, all of them come from the notion of property. All of them come from the idea that self-ownership is in fact a thing, that a person has a right to their own body and what happens to it, what they put in it what they do to it, right? And coming out of that from, from the idea of ownership, of self-ownership, you then say, okay, so people own themselves, then they must logically own their property, right? 
Because if people can own themselves but not their property, now you have to draw a distinction between property and body. That's why I don't think that the Marxists and, and the, uh, the comms... It might be actually more, uh, more Hegelian. It doesn't matter. The, the people who believe that property isn't must necessarily, must necessarily give up their dominion over their body to somebody else. I don't give a shit who. But in order to remain philosophically consistent, you cannot say that property does not exist and also that your body is yours. That yourself is yours. You cannot make those two things consistent. And if you do believe in these human rights, then you have to ask yourself where all these human rights come from. And the answer that I believe is most philosophically consistent, most logically consistent, is the notion of property. Thus, property must be a human right. Thus, the removal of property by coercion is a violation of that human right that we call theft. Taxation is the removal of property by coercion. Thus, taxation is theft. That's all I had planned for this episode. That's all I'm going to say. You can find this and more at AIRAD.io. Great podcasts over there, including the podcast that myself and, uh, or that, uh, it's Ryan's podcast, actually, but I'm on it, along with a few other friends talking about anime. That's fun. We've also got, uh, got old episodes of Drinky Files over there, and donation links to every show on the network. So go ahead, and, uh, if you think that this was worth your time, if you found yourself entertained, or you find yourself to be, uh, uh, interested, or even, you know, moderately... Uh, okay with what you've just heard <laughs> uh, throw me a couple shekels uh, I'd like that and it might help get my girlfriend off my back about doing this a little bit <laughs> um, uh, I say mean things it's not true she's, she's very supportive so thank you all for listening remember to see us at AIRAD.io and on twitter at DinoFiles no spaces no dashes thanks very much and I'll see you all next time this show is part of the Alternative Internet Radio Podcast Network. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io.